Stephen Oyl. Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramids. On today's episode, we'll have a review of the weekend's Premier League action, including Chelsea's pulsating draw against champions Man City and Wolves leaving it late to beat Spurs. We're looking at the main results from the EFL, including Pyramid Pod Cup holders Southampton win against West Brom and Leicester slipping up again against Middlesbrough. And we'll finish with Lauro, who will talk us through Yeovil making it 13 wins in a row at the weekend and they're back in action tomorrow night. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, we'll go straight to the game at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Uh, Chelsea 4, Man City 4. Probably best game of the season so far. Uh, and Tomo, I'd say probably Chelsea get more credit in the bank from that uh, game, albeit a draw, uh, compared to the victory they had against Spurs on Monday Night Football last week. Uh, who impressed you for Chelsea yesterday? Yeah, well, yeah, they definitely played better yesterday, didn't they, than... I think we can sort of write off that Monday night football a little bit. It was just a complete head fuck of a game. One in a million, real strange game. Um, but on the game yesterday, well, Cole Palmer's settled in really well, isn't he? I suppose he's the big talking point given that City sold him. Um, I thought he was really good. There was a moment in the second half where he turned into prime Leo Messi. And if he finishes his dinner, it's one of the goals of the season. Um, but then... <clears throat> Obviously, to have, I think we spoke about this in a podcast a couple of weeks ago where he took the penalty from Raheem Sterling. And that shows a lot of bollocks from a, well, he's only, I think he's 21 or 22, um, a new player coming into Chelsea. And for him to take the penalty, penalties away from Raheem Sterling shows he's got a lot of confidence about himself. And obviously, he steps up yesterday to take that penalty. And it was a nice moment, really. Um, and I, I think, all in all, it was what the game deserved because it was a great game. Um, when it was 3-3, I said to um, my cousin who I was watching the game with, I said, I'll just fancy City to get a goal here because they just always seem to get a goal. And it was um, no it's no real surprise that it was Rodri who scored the four for City because he comes up clutch quite more often than not for them, albeit it was obviously deflected. But yeah, I was really happy to see Chelsea get the equaliser, not only for the Premier League, um, the Premier League title race, but also um, I think because Chelsea fully deserved it. It was a great game. I actually, you say it was one of the games of the season. I actually think it could be up there, one of the all-time great Premier League games. It was brilliant. And um, yeah, and I suppose I'll let Lauro speak a touch on Raheem Sterling's performance. But, um, but I suppose if, if we're talking about Chelsea... We've spoke about them a lot. They've they've won 11 of their 12 matches this season on XG. And we speak every week, don't we, about they just, they create the chances, they create the chances, they just can't finish. Um, but it seemed like they were able to finish on Sunday. So yeah, really good game, really exciting to watch. And it's a shame the international break is on now, isn't it? Because just want, want more games to come. Yeah. Laura? Yeah, I mean... We were just speaking before we come on, saying that we sort of touched on the fact that Man City, or oh, I didn't think that Man City were quite what they were last season. Um, and certainly not without Rodri, like when they went to Wolves and lost. But yesterday was something very different. And it's difficult to speak about City being vulnerable about talking about how good Chelsea were. So just to like elaborate on that, I thought they, that is the best I've seen a team play against Man City in decades or years, since, definitely since Pep's been here in the Premier League. I don't want to come across like I'm some sort of analyst, but I can't remember another Premier League team having that many final third entries against Man City in 
so long. And it wasn't, I, I watched it yesterday. I thought this just doesn't feel right. Like the amount of times that Sterling, who had a magnificent game, Palmer, Jackson found themselves running it on like a three on three at City's back line. It just wasn't normal. And then I watched it again on match of the day two. And like Enzo Fernandez, Gallagher, and Caicedo. I'm not saying that look, it's very rare that Rodri and Bernardo Silva are going to lose a midfield battle sitting. I'm not saying they lost it yesterday, but at 50 50, it was a hell of a battle in there. And the amount of times that Enzo nipped in, Caicedo got in and just put Sterling through or put Jackson through was unbelievable. And that it just happened. Sometimes you get that for like sections of the game. It just happened from minute one to minute 90. And that's why it was two all at halftime and four at full time. And to be fair, I think Carragher was quite right at the end. He made a comment saying it probably shows the golf in how good Man City are, that they had a little bit of an off day and Chelsea had their best game in a long time. And it was still for all because Man City obviously have such good attacking strength. But normally they give you nothing at the back and they couldn't have had that yesterday. And although City missed a couple of chances, so did Chelsea. We had that Palmer chance that Tigo spoke about where he turned into Messi and, and Gusto missed a very good chance as well. And one other thing we need to say about Chelsea is we've given them a lot of stick, like you say, Tigo, have not been able to convert their chances this season. But they've scored eight goals in two games against Tottenham and Man City now. And <laughs> Nicholas Jackson's got four of them. So we can say what we want. I think we just need to nip that one in the bud. I'm sure it will rear its head again at some point during the season. But a very, very strange last week of this sort of period of the season for Chelsea. A very, very, very good performance and exciting because you just don't normally see... I think it's game of the season too. You just don't normally see Man City in that kind of game. They just normally give you nothing. And if they lose, it's because they miss loads of chances, like maybe they did against Wolves. Or it's a fluky goal, like against Arsenal, where it's a massive deflection for Martinelli. Yesterday, they conceded four genuine goals, and it could have been six. But they could have scored six as well. And I, as a neutral, I'd love to see Man City in games more and more like that. But I don't think Pep Guardiola will. But we're going into this international break with three points separating first and fifth. How good's that? Yeah, um, unbelievable. J just to come back to the um, sort of Chelsea's display there, boys. They matched today too. Ian Wright and Anne Shearer spoke about potentially there being a bit of a blueprint there now against playing against Man City to get at them is to just go at them. And, you know, you're going to fight fire with fire and there's going to be times where City will just be too strong and will probably blow sides away through doing that. But as a Man United fan, I couldn't help but watch that game and look at that kind of whimper that we went down uh, against Man City where you're almost trying to sit in and frustrate them but eventually they create their chances and actually United were quite bright in that first 10 minutes weren't they where they were like going at them a bit and winning the ball quite high up and things like that but maybe something in there for other sides to do uh, against it and City have got some difficult looking fixtures coming up haven't they um, yeah. they've got Liverpool after international break and a couple other sides that might go take that approach Tomo yeah no I'd I... Wouldn't concur too much, to be honest. If you think of their other defeat this season was Wolves. And if you say that's a blueprint to beat City, well, Wolves just sat in, soaked it all up and then hit him on a counter or, or got that goal. So I think like Laura said, it was it was kind of a bit of an off day for City. Um, and Chelsea, we spoke about them. They've got a, a really young squad, loads of energy. Like Laura spoke about that midfield, those three in midfield and Conor Gallagher in particular, I thought, um, who's obviously the Chelsea captain when Reese James is not there. He was, he's, he's so energetic and there was, there was a moment in that game when, um, when Rodri had the ball and Conor Gallagher was just at his heels the whole time and you could see Rodri like passed the ball on and just kept it, kept it moving but he sort of almost 
he didn't he didn't like swing an elbow or anything, but you could see he was annoyed that this like this buzzing bee just wouldn't leave him alone. And that that's what Conor Gallagher was. And he 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 offers so much energy and verve and potentially sacrifices a little bit of quality in the process. But I don't know, I don't know about that being a a blueprint, to be honest, because it could have gone either way, really. Like you say, Laura said there was chances all over the pitch. It was one of those great games. And sometimes when when you get like a high scoring game between two good teams, it's mainly because of mistakes and and sort of shit football. But the like I thought it was the opposite yesterday, where it was both teams going hammer and tong at each other and it was quality all over, all over the pitch. I thought Phil Foden had a great game. I, I actually thought Bernardo, I know you say Bernardo and Rodri may have may or may not have lost the lit midfield battle, but I thought Bernardo was brilliant. And it's just it's just a great game of football. Great, yeah. great advert for the Prem. I just, I just, what I don't think Rodri or Bernardo had a bad game. Yeah. It's just very, very rare to see them matched. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I just thought that they were a little bit at times defensively a little bit overwhelmed. They lost out on quite a lot of jewels, and that's what kept on putting Sterling there, or kept on putting one of the the other two uh, front guys in. So, look, it's. Uh, Talk about a blueprint to beat City. I'd love teams to be able to play like that against City every week. But like you say, nine times out of ten, you're just going to get blown away. And they probably had a little bit of an off day for one reason or another. One of the commentators alluded to the fact that sort of Alvarez being in front of um, Bernardo and Rodri isn't the same as having a number 10. He's like a striker coming back rather than a midfielder going forward. And maybe that was a little bit of a, a gap yesterday. But look, they were on the back foot for quite a lot of it and they still came out of a point. So it's actually turned out to be a very good point, I think. I revved up Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? The atmosphere there was better than I've seen it in a long time. Um, and it, it, look, it'd be great to see teams go at City like that every single week. Maybe a few others will try it and they can be susceptible. They've conceded four goals yesterday, but they scored four as well. So more more, more games like that with City and I'll be far more interested in them, that's for sure. Yeah. Just, Just on the um, vulnerability um, part, Laura, and then I'll bring you in again, Tomo. Um, as, as you said at the start, you kind of mentioned it uh, before about City this season, about it just not being quite the same. Do you, do you just put that down to like De Bruyne being out injured, Gundogan moving on, Mares obviously left like three big key cogs in in that wheel last season, or do you think you know none of them are defenders, but they look a bit susceptible there? Obviously, you've got John Stones out injured as well. Yeah. But well, that, but that's why I said like I've said all those things before, but that that isn't what the case was yesterday. I thought they'd missed definitely De Bruyne being injured, but Gundogan and Mares, particularly Gundogan, a massive player who they replaced kind of a Kovacic, not going to get you the same like I think you call it clutch goals. Do you know what I mean? FA Cup final last year, Gundogan won it, and he does that in so, so many games. He used to have a bit of like Yaya Torre. So you need someone in there that can come out of the pack and win the game. And I just thought they'd miss him this season, but that wasn't it yesterday. It was just Chelsea, very, very good, and maybe caught them a bit by surprise um, with the amount of times they were able to nick it and set their own. I'd like to see the stats. I know we won't have them to hand tonight, but of how many chances that were created by Chelsea yesterday, because I don't think that will be matched against Man City. Like, like I said earlier, we're used to seeing them. If they lose a game, which is once in a blue moon, they still dominate every single... It's it's like nine attacks for City to every one for the other team. Yesterday, it was felt very, very even. Um, yeah. And the scoreline was probably right at the end. Yeah, but well, like you... I said, I, I didn't think they'd be the same this season as last season because I think their squad, although it's still amazing, is a tiny bit downgraded, i.e. Gundogan out, um, Kovacic in, that kind of thing. But they're still very, very good. And those reasons aren't the reasons that it was for all yesterday. 
Well, yeah, some of the stats back up exactly what you're saying, Norris. You've Chelsea had higher XG than City, but it was very close, 3.37 to 3.23. But I know you're not a big fan of XG stats, so we'll, we'll move on to shots. And it was 17 to Chelsea and 15 to Man City. Nine shots on target for Chelsea, 10 for Man City. So really even game, great game. Um, just a quick one. I've got a little quick quiz question on Chelsea's first goal scorer. Obviously, Thiago Silva, 39 years old, um, great header at the near post. But he became only the fourth um, player to score a Premier League goal while aged 39 or older. Can you name the other three? Sheringham. One. Brian Giggs. Two. Yeah, this one's a bit tougher, actually. I thought maybe uh, not, you might get this one. Uh, Brian McBride. David no. Unsworth. No, I'll give you one more guess each. Give us a clue. Um, He's not very... He doesn't spell very well on Twitter. Uh, Matt Letizia. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> Steve Windass. Oh, right, OK. Uh, fair play, dude. Yeah, well done, Dean. And apologies uh, for calling out your grammar, Tez. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, great, great game. Uh, another good game, boys, that was on TV uh, was the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, if you can cash your minds back to that. Uh, Wolves beat Tottenham 2-1. Looked like Tottenham were going to do an absolute job there and grind out a result, which would have been such a big result for uh, for Big Ange with the injuries they got out. But uh, Wolves' dominance paid off in the end and they scored two goals, I think, either in injury time or, or leading up to injury time and deep into injury time. Um, Tigo, just on Tottenham, do you think there'll be panic stations now with the injuries, a couple of losses in a row, or do you think they were only a few minutes away from a great result uh, against with a weakened squad and, and they'll, you know, Big Ange won't be uh, too too disheartened in that? Yeah, I mean, we spoke a lot, haven't we, on, on this podcast about fine margins and they had, well, they pretty much had a start and 11 made up of players um, from last season. Um, Dia and Davis come in at centre-half. Uh, Hoy Hoysberg come in at centre-mid um, for, for Madison. Um, and actually, I thought they started the game really well. And, and if you ever can score a little bit too early, maybe they did because then they sort of sat back and Wolves took a bit of control. And like we spoke about with Wolves all season, they were really good. They had 17 shots to Tottenham six. Um, and like you say, it, it did feel like it was drifting, it drifting into one of those those typical Wolves games where they deserve to get something out of it, but but Tottenham get the three points, and then Sarab Pablo Sarabia happened, and I don't know if you've seen the first goal or if or people listening seen the first goal, but go and watch it because it is absolutely unbelievable. The touch from Kuna's cross is like chef's kiss perfection, and then it sets him up perfectly for the left-footed volley and obviously he scores that goal. And then, to be honest, <clears throat> maybe the only time you can question Ange's tactics a little bit because they still pressed forward and they got caught um, in the 97th minute when they were pushing forward for the winner. And obviously, um, Lamina it was who got the goal and it was a great assist from Sarabia. But on Spurs, I wouldn't be too worried, but they do play... Villa at home next, and I believe it's Man City after that. So two very important games coming up because obviously um, two defeats in a row and a couple of bad injuries. So it's been a tough week for Spurs. Yeah, I agree on that. 
And Laura, just on the other side, obviously, if there's anything you want to add on Spurs, by all means do. But just on the other side for Wolves, they, they, I mean, we've spoken about them on previous pods. Right on the first game of the season against United, they look good and they just continue to uh, perform. But just a bit on the job Gary O'Neill's doing there. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Comes across really well as well. We've spoke about him on Monday Night Football, maybe saying a little bit too much. But there's another clip that surfaced since the weekend of his um, team talk after the game, I think. And he come across very sort of self-deprecating, slipping into his speech that, lads, look, I couldn't have done that myself. You're all better than me. That's a very high level. Keep it up. And I, I, th- I said in our group chat the other day, if I think if Cunha in particular, if he was a goal scorer, they could be top six. I think they could easily have another six points and be where Man United are in sixth place right now if he could score goals. Because every single time I watch them, whether it's live or whether it's the highlights, he seems to have... He's a good player, gets into positions and seems to have chances and just can't score them. And it's a pattern. It's not just once or twice. It happens in every single game. So if they had an out-and-out goal scorer or Cunha could start converting his chances they will be looking towards Europe more than they will over their shoulder. Albeit, I don't think they're going to be in any danger this season in that regard. So, yeah, really good for Wolves. Nice to see a good young British manager doing well. And uh, with Tottenham, you know, it was going to be tricky with the, the suspensions and the injuries that they picked up in the week. Probably good to have the international break now just to reset, um, collect themselves and, and go again afterwards for some tricky fixtures. And they're going to, try and ha- they're going to have to try and navigate them. But that's a Premier League season, isn't it? Eddie Howe's having to do it in Newcastle. All sides will have to do it throughout the year. City have had to go for a couple of games without Rodri and not winning. So it's about how you react to that and how you can dust yourself off and try and find points from different ways rather than James Madison, for instance. So hopefully they'll be all right. And it was a bit of a sucker punch, wasn't it? But I don't mind them still pressing high and going for it in the last minute because, you know, I think Angie's very much like me with his managerial philosophies. A draw is closer to a loss than a win. So you might as well go for all three. Yeah. Fair point, valid point, but great, great victory for Wolves. Um, just on Cunha, I think he was like good player. I think he played for Hertha Berlin, and then he went to Atletico, didn't he? And I think the reason why he's now at Wolves is he's consistently shown that he just can't have that killer instinct and get the kind of maybe yeah. 10, 15, 20 goals that you need. Um, but he is a player, and I think he missed chance at Old Trafford, didn't he? And continued that throughout the season. So you know, as you say, a couple more wins, they would be right up there in those European places. Um. I think you touched on there, Laura, on Eddie Howe. We'll, we'll jump to that game that was 5.30 on Saturday. So Bournemouth to uh, Newcastle nil. Laura, just bring you back in on Eddie Howe, uh, just on the job that he's doing this season. Kieran Trippier was involved in a bit of a spat with one of the Newcastle fans uh, about it, which maybe just shows that maybe he's just an individual, but some fans are starting to get a bit annoyed with Newcastle's uh, run of form and results. Just a little bit on Eddie Howe and, and his job so far this season. I think I think he's doing a fine job. We're wax lyrical about him on a pod two weeks ago after watching him actually at Old Trafford in the Carabao Cup. I, I think he's got every look. There aren't these aren't excuses. When you've got a squad decimated as much as Newcastle's are, they're reasons, not excuses. You are going to be at a, a lesser level. It's okay having two or three out, but when you've got eight or nine first team squad players missing, um. It becomes very, very difficult. And it doesn't matter who you are as a manager. You're just going to have to navigate through it and try and pick up as many points as you can. Admittedly, losing to Bournemouth is a bad one because I think they're shocking. And they probably had their best game of the season, Bournemouth, at the weekend. But you want to be coming out of there with something when you're a team as big as Newcastle. On the Trippier thing, I think it's probably a little bit naive, especially from such an experienced player. But it shows that he cares 
um, and his passions are high. But straight after a football match, we all know what it's like when it's your football team. It, your emotions are high. You don't think straight. You don't say the right thing. So there's no point engaging with fans at that point because they're not saying what they think. They're just talking from their emotions and they'll be gutted. They've just lost 2-0 to uh, Bournemouth and having altercations with them, although it wasn't anything too nasty, um, probably isn't what's needed at the moment. But again, another one where the international breaks probably come at a good time and hopefully for Eddie Howe, he can, he can, bring, some, um, he can bring some of his first team back in in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, but on the other hand, a great win for Bournemouth, Tomo. Um, Dominic Solanke scoring two goals. I think it was your brother um, put in our group chat, actually, about I think Solanke's now got more goals and assists this season than he has in any other um, season he has in the Prem with Bournemouth. Do you think that he's potentially a player who could carry on this vein of form and, and move to a bigger club? Um, I think he can carry on this vein of form. Um, but... I think he's an example of a player who is exactly where he should be. Um, he's he's a good Premier League player, if not a little bit inconsistent, um, but he's the main man there, and he he he'll, he'll be the reason they stay up if they do stay up because because obviously he he'll be the one who gets the goals for them. But I can't, I couldn't. I'm just trying to like picture him. Maybe Dominic Calvert Lewin gets a big injury. Everton might need a striker, but they're skin. Do you know what, what I mean? About, what about this one? What about Ivan Tony goes and Brentford sign him up front for Brentford? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. That makes sense to me. And yeah, West I suppose Ham. that does make sense. Yeah, but look, listen. Ham Antonio? Yeah, I don't know. I think West Ham be looking at higher than Solanke. Like, I don't look at Bournemouth and Solanke or Solanke at Bournemouth and think, Oh yeah, he's doing really well. He's obviously got the brace on the weekend. Um, so yeah, no, I think he's exactly where he should be. I didn't agree with my brother when he said that about he's only playing well because he wants to get a move. It's like mm, I don't know about that. No, that was ridiculous. Well, six goals now in twelve fixtures. He got six in thirty-three yesterday. He's only twenty-six, so you know he's still not in his peak. He's he's had previous seasons with Bournemouth, I guess, in the Championship where he scored twenty-nine goals. He knows where the back of the net is and there are teams, there's a shortage of, I'm not saying he's world-class, but there are a shortage of strikers out there that play through the middle. I just wonder if people might think 26-year-old English knows the Prem now would take a bit of a punt on him. And oh, also, Murph, he's, he's got the same amount of Premier League goals this season as Ollie Watkins and Alexander Isaac. So not in bad company there, is he? I think we raised this on one of the earlier pods. I think, I see what you're saying, Tigo, and I think there's definitely a a train of thought to suggest he's where he is, but you don't know until they go, do you? I think a Wolves, an Everton, Brentford's a great shout, maybe West Ham is the kind of clubs that you'd imagine circling for him if anyone is going to. Um, but he never seems to get linked, does he? Well, the only, the only thing I will say about, obviously, potentially moving is he has recently signed a contract. So any club who comes in for him in January will be desperate for a striker. So you get that tax anyway, uh, or that premium anyway. And then obviously because he signs a new contract, it'll be even more. So how much do you, like, if I put that question, flip that question to you, Murph, how much do you think it will cost uh, Wolves or Brentford to get Dominic Solanke out of Bournemouth? In January, a lot of money because Bournemouth probably pinned their hopes on him staying up. But in the summer, if they if they if he signed a new deal with the kind of gentleman's agreement, if he keeps us up this year and you can move on and you sign a new deal so we get a better fee for you, 
I don't know, 26 English score if he carries on his reign of form, 35, 40 mil, maybe. It's a lot of money, I know. All right, here you go, though. Callum Wilson was at Bournemouth, wasn't he? Scoring goals, and now look what he's gone and done. It is one for you, Tomo, and this this might be a bit ridiculous, but Hoyland, obviously, they're saying he needs a bit of support. we got Anthony Martial there at the minute who just sits on the bench. If he was available for 35 mil, Solanke, would you have him as United for sort of rotation in off the bench, stuff like that? I'm speechless. No. Uh, Lauro, is that is that particularly... Is that absolutely ridiculous? Um, yeah. I think particularly given that one of the biggest... Not to go off on a tangent, but one of the biggest reasons Hoyland's struggling to score goals, I think, is because we've talked about the service, isn't it? You've got wingers that want to be strikers, and Solanke's probably another big kind of... doesn't really make his own goals, so to speak, in terms of play. He's more of a presence in the box and will finish in the box. So I think you'd just be adding, you know, a, a similar type of striker, really. So it would be a massive gamble. I don't think that's the route that Man United are going to go down. I think you need like an out-and-out out sort of goal-scoring striker rather than a Solanke. Okay. We'll move on, boys. Um, so Liverpool beat Brentford 3-0. Uh, I think Captain Chaos had two goals disallowed for offside before a Salah brace uh, and Jota scored for a comfortable win for them. Uh, Tomo, just looking at the table, one point off City now. Uh, City straight after the international break for Liverpool, who maybe now will look at that Chelsea game and think we can get at them and go top of the Premier League. They've got to now be really, really in the conversation about title contenders. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. They, I've, um, they have been for five weeks. I'd, I'd suggest. Um, the weird thing about that game was obviously Liverpool won three 0 and it sort of looks comfortable, and it did look kind of comfortable, but. Um, you watch the highlights and then I looked at the stats and Brentford had so many good chances. The XG, they had more XG than Liverpool. They had the same amount of shots as Liverpool. Um, obviously, Liverpool have got a certain someone called Mo Salah um, who scored his 200th goal for Liverpool on the weekend um, in 323 games. And in that time, he's got 83 assists. And the question I wanted to ask you boys about Mo Salah because he's starting to come become a bit of a a joke, isn't he? Um, is do you boys think that Mo Salah is Liverpool's best ever player in the Premier League era? Second for me. Yeah, Gerard would be the first one just because of that captain, leader, legend, Champs League, goals in the FA Cup, like that late goal against West Ham and things like that. Uh I'll go second. I'll go Gerard, then Salah, but Maybe just because Gerard was captain and Liverpool legend. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think Gerard just obviously a little bit more of a box office position for Salah. Unbelievable, and the fact that you can even talk about after Gerard's gone, someone's come through to challenge him for the best player of the Premier League era is an achievement in itself. Um, very very close, and Salah the consistency he's shown over the last seven eight years, whatever it's been. Is a, a joke and I don't think he's talked about anywhere near enough and maybe we'll do a pod on it one day he's in my all-time Premier League 11 yeah um, but at Liverpool Steven Gerrard is number one for me yeah do you know a little a little quirky stat that I saw today um, about Darwin Nunes and, and Salah's link up was that Darwin Nunes I think has set up four Premier League goals for Salah already and um, which doesn't seem like a lot on paper but it's more than Mane set up for Salah in his whole time at Liverpool. How weird's that? Yeah. 
and Roberto Firmino has just done a um, an interview. I think it was last week where he spoke in depth about Salah and Mane not really getting on and not liking each other. So funny how that works, isn't it? Because those two and Firmino, um, they're part of probably probably one or one or in the top two or three of the best front threes of all time in a prem and seems yeah. like didn't even like each other. Well, Firmino kind of sat in between them, didn't he? And he either laid the ball off left to Mane to rifle home or rolled it to the right for Salah to bend home. So they didn't really need to get on, did they? And you, there's been other instances of that, isn't there? Is it Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham never saw eye to eye? There must be. In You look at some of the egos that you see, like I watched the post-match presser yesterday in Chelsea Man City and Cole Palmer and Sterling were talking and neither of them wanted to be there. They were both sort of like one word answers, like almost bantering off whoever the pundit was who was doing it at the end. There's going to be instances across most dressing rooms with people, those egos that don't get on in the same team. What are you going to say there, Tigo? Are you going to mention from that clip, that mad little yeah. thing that happened? How, yeah. Honestly, it cringes me out. I can't even watch it. Have you seen it, Mama? Well, mate, he trying to get the grass out of Sterling's eye. Yeah, what does he say? Oh, what does he say to you, girl? Uh, so Patrick Davidson, for, for people who, who are listening on the podcast, he's uh, the new Jeff Shreves of Sky Sports, and he's doing that interview, and Sterling's, like, flicking about with his eye. He's got so, he's got something in his eye, and then Patrick Davidson, for some unknown reason to to probably himself this morning, he's he's leant leant over onto the camera and asked Sterling if he can pick a little bit of grass out of his eye, and <laughs> Sterling sort of looked at him as if to say, "Don't touch me." <laughs> and uh, said, honest, didn't he? he was like, "You're going to get more mud in my eye," type thing. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't. What the way I know this is like over analytical but I thought that Sterling come across massive time in that clip I thought he was like oh no minion please don't touch me I'm a Premier League footballer <laughs> I just I just think they both they both were like that the whole of that interview because straight after that Sterling was like oh and Cole Palmer was man of the match as if to say this is ending here and I was thinking that Patrick Davidson must have finished that up and just seen Sterling and Palmer walk away laughing thinking oh my god yeah. I am going to be getting battered in there I'd be having so many sleepless nights if I was him. That is like one of the most embarrassing things ever, just to get pied in front of millions of people by Raheem Sterling, like you say to you, go like, no, 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 keep your fingers away from me, please. And you're right, they didn't come across amazing. I think Sterling's always been a bit mardy in his interviews, like yeah. throughout the years. Like that's an experienced player. Cole Palmer come across like he's about 14 years old. I don't think he's had enough time in front of the camera to. Um, probably get his way through those interviews and come across well yet. He's very sort of wet between the ears is the, is it the expression. Um, and he'll probably get better. But Sterling's always been a bit moody. And uh, yeah, what's his name? To go? Patrick Davidson probably ran, in, ran into the wrong customer with something in his eye there. I'd like to know which Premier League footballers would have just stood still and let Patrick Davidson pick grass out of his eye, though, and then them carry on the conversation. No, it's a moment of madness from Patrick because you can't, you can't, you what if you do something like that, you open yourself up to whatever's coming next, and it's almost just as awkward. The whole country watching him pick a bit of dirt out of Sterling's eye, but yeah, that's a sleepless night. But quickly, just back to the football last thing, I think it's another credit to Salah to to show that. He's played uh, alongside Firmino and Nunes, who are quite different players. Nunes is Captain Chaos, as, as we've coined him, and Firmino is very much like almost like a false nine. And he's still 
adapting himself to be able to score goals and keep up the consistency for Liverpool, whoever he's with, whether it's Nunes and Jota, whether it's Mane and uh, Firmino. And it's really, it's, Salah's always going to be scoring goals. And it's on Jota, it's on Diaz, it's on Nunes to get as many as Matt. Because Mane used to get almost as many as Salah per season. And Firmino would chip in. The other boys need to do the same now. And that will be the difference between whether Liverpool are title contenders or not. At the moment, you have to say they very much are. But big, big game, isn't there, after the international break, which will be uh, yeah, probably quite telling as to how lively they are in the race. Yeah, and I, I think, Tomo, the final point on that Gerard um, Salah conversation is I'd quite like to do a poll off of Pyramid Pod's Twitter account after we release this, just to get the answers from that. I think you'll have a number of non-Liverpool fans who would go with Salah and, and cite that he's won the Premier League, scored all of these goals. He might win the Premier League again this season. Um, so I think that might be closer than maybe what us three have that as. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll get a poll out on that one. Um, another game, boys. So West Ham, first part of Super Sunday yesterday. West Ham 3, Nottingham Forest 2. Uh, great game. Just want to quickly touch on James Ward-Prowse, Tomo. I think snubbed again from the England squad. Um, but do you say it's now nine assists for him for the season? Yeah, two assists yesterday and nine assists in the season. And most of them obviously have come from his ones of a right foot, usually crossing in the corners. We talk as we spoke a lot about West Ham being dangerous at St. P- at set pieces. They seem to be sort of giants. And I actually think I listened to Moyes speak about um Suchek after the game, and he he said that. Recently, he's moved him a little bit forward in central midfield. And Kasuchek's got five goals this season now, which is, um, if you sort of take this as the halfway point to the season, say if he gets 10, that, that was what he got in his first season. And, and in his first season, it seemed like he was scoring every week. He was in everyone's fantasy teams, wasn't he? So if he can carry on getting some goals and obviously speak about James or Prowse, I, I think it's incredibly harsh. He's like his set pieces are worth the the sort of price on a ticket alone. And if you're England and you're, if we fast forward to the Euros and you're maybe one nil down or something and someone in that central midfield gets injured, he'd be perfect to come on because Harry Kane's unbelievable at winning free kicks in great areas. And then you've got James or Paris to deliver crosses and create pressure. So yeah, I don't know. It seem, It seems to me that the only way James or Prowse will get in that England team is if there's a lot of injuries because um, he's missed out on the first three internationals um, of this season. So, yeah, and there's only one left. The next one's in March. And But another goal for Jared Bowen. He is in the England squad, isn't he? Yeah. 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 I, I, I was surprised sometimes. I know you can't do this, but sometimes it's almost like if you've got, if you've got Bowen in there and you've got this another West Ham player he's got a great connection with, it's like, get him in the squad. I know we, we don't need to touch on Henderson again, but, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a shout for Ward-Prowse to start with Rice in midfield and Bellingham in front of them. If you talk about yeah. there's a bit of a problem in the England team at the moment, yeah, and the, probably the hardest place to pick is that other midfielder in between Rice and Henderson. He's the, uh, sorry, in between Rice and Bellingham. He's, if, if an alien came up from out of space and you just had to show him the form of these players and the trajectory of their careers at the moment, he'd pick Ward-Prowse. Yeah. He wouldn't, and, play, he wouldn't pick someone playing playing in the desert and he wouldn't pick someone not playing in Calvin Phillips. So I'm, I'm not saying he should start, but he should definitely be in the squad. Yeah, 100%. It's that Henderson one, really, isn't it? It's that Henderson one. He's like, because 
Henderson being in the squad's an absolute disgrace. We've all spoke about it, so maybe I shouldn't bang on about it. But um, yeah, he, he should consider himself very unlucky to not be in the squad at the very least, James Ward-Prowse, because he's been brilliant. And the one thing I will say about Henderson being included is Gareth Southgate likes to talk about how much of a leader he is. Well, James Ward-Prowse was captain of Southampton for 10 years. Yeah. And, and he's come into that West Ham team and completely almost... It feels like... I know they probably do miss Declan Rice, because, and Declan Rice is a big leader, but it feels like he's filled those shoes very well, um, considering yeah. he only costs a third of the price. So, yeah, look, he, it's incredibly harsh. I think it's the right time to touch on it because, like you said, we've only got, I think we've got a couple of friendlies next year and that's it. So this yeah. is basically the squad he's looking at. At West Ham and ninth, would they be any higher than that with Rice at the minute? Probably not. Yeah. And James Will Prowse hasn't just been consistent. He's got better. He's he's literally got, he's, he was captain at Southampton for a long time. Maybe he should have left earlier. He's probably in his late 20s now, isn't he? He's, at a, he's in his prime, his absolute prime, playing at his best ever football. And it, it must be so hard for him to think, that's a problem position for my country. I'm one of the best in the position in the country, and I'm definitely in the best form in the country, and I still can get in. And if you put that, there must be a reason that Southgate's avoiding putting him in, because he has been in the squad before, in like for friendlies and stuff like that, not for, a, I don't think, for a major tournament. It'd be really interesting to see what Gareth Southgate's take on it is and why he's left out, because it, to the naked eye and to us neutrals, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we've had Cole Palmer, uh, Rico Lewis and uh, Esri Concer get called up to the England squad uh, today. And that's, I think, with Callum Wilson, James Madison and Lewis Dunk pulling out. Rico Lewis has been playing midfield for City, Annie Tomo, in some bit. So I wonder if he's being brought in. I know he can play right back or left back as well, so it's good positioning. But if he's coming to be a midfield replacement in that England squad then, you know, you really got to worry about Walt Prowse's uh, chances if, if Rico Lewis was coming in ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. Rico Lewis, he's looked great when he, whenever he's played central midfield for City this year. And obviously, those City players, they've got that pep schooling behind them. So, and you talk about Cole Palmer. And Laura, I think you mentioned this yesterday on WhatsApp. You say it's so obvious to see that he's been training under Pep Guardiola for the last couple of years because... They're just great young players. And I think Rico Lewis would be a great shout for a starter alongside Declan Rice when you're playing. I think we've got Malta and I want to say who else is the other, the, the friendly or the, it's Malta and someone else in it. And the, we're going to batter both of these teams anyway. So I think Rico Lewis would be great, a great addition to the squad and maybe even starting alongside Declan Rice. Would that be where Trent plays though? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, can't fit them all in. No, I just think if Rico Lewis has come in to be a midfield option when he's sort of, you know, he is getting game time at City, but with Ward Prowse there and we spoke about his set piece delivery and stuff like that, it would be a that's a massive, massive call. It's almost like I think now, like Southgate with the Sterling one, he's doubling down on that now, isn't he? That it's like, oh no, you know, Sterling can kind of do what he wants now. He's not in my plans. You know, Cole Palmer's now been called up ahead of him. He's sticking with Rashford, that sort of thing. It feels like to me now. Southgate sometimes makes decisions like he's doubling down on Henderson being in that squad that he's now like that that's it like case closed on that I'm not interested in Cole Palmer and Rico Lewis being in the England squad for a minute like this is the swan song for Southgate this tournament everything he's done has led up to this I think after this tournament he's gone regardless if we win it I think we'll say thank you very much goodbye if we if we don't win it 
I think he'll probably do the same or he'll be replaced. There's going to be a time and a place for Rico Lewis and Cole Palmer to come in. But if we've got four games before the tournament that we're going to be favourite for, let's get our fucking prime peak players in that we've been building up for the last six or seven years at the same time Southgate's been the manager and get them playing. I'd rather see Sterling come back in and Ward Prowse in there for these couple of games than um, the youngsters that are going to be here for the next 12, 14 years. Do you know what I mean? Any youngsters to bleed in like Bellingham, we've done. But this is about getting ready for the tournament. That's the point on Henderson. He is not going to be prepared for a high-level international tournament after a whole season in the desert with his toes out. But we can go around in circles on it. It's so frustrating. But I will caveat and that say that I like Gareth Southgate overall, but it doesn't have to be binary, does it? We can be happy with some choices he makes and, and not so much with others. Yeah. Right, boys, I have a roundup of the rest of the uh, Premier League action. So, uh, Everton... 3-2 away at Crystal Palace. Uh, Laurie, just a, a quick word on Everton's kind of revival. Um, and if you want to link it into the timing of Beto signing, then you can. No, it's, it's exactly what I've said before. I, I mean, I these are the types of games when you're in Everton, like those Palaces, the Brentfords, the Wolves, you know, that middle of the table patch that, that, that they should be in and picking up points. And for a long time, they weren't. And largely because I don't think they had a focal point of the team or an outlet that allowed them to stay in games long enough or be in games. And although um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin didn't score at the weekend, I can guarantee he was occupying players and creating spaces and chances. I've only watched it on match of the day. I haven't seen the whole game. But he brings people like Harrison in. He makes Decore's more more of a free role rather than a you-must-score role. McNeil will be um, getting a lot more fruit of his labours now. So... You know, they're not going to win every week, but at the start of the season, I thought they'd definitely be relegated unless Calvert-Lewin can come back in and start showing some form. And they've done that. If they can keep them fit, as we keep on saying, with Sean Dyche, um, a great organiser of sort of pragmatic football teams as he is, they'll be fine. And now it feels like they're probably going to be like 14th or something, which is probably a good season to build on after a couple of disasters. Yeah. And just one thing ahead of... Uh, Man United's next fixture jumping ahead. We got Everton after the international break. One thing we've not done all season is pick up late runners into the box, and Decore just seems to do that for absolute fun and score goals. So that will be something that I'm hoping that Tenag's team have identified and they're working on on the international break. Um, Tomo, Arsenal three one versus Burnley. Um, probably expected, and we spoke about it. This isn't going to be the game that defines Vincent Company, but another loss for them, um, and probably just a little bit more pressure on him now. Uh, I don't know about more pressure. Like, like you just said, there that was a result that was to be expected, and, and actually, albeit they were level for th- only three minutes before Saliba's goal, um, they they kept them tight in the first half. And then, like you say, equalised. Um, but I thought that Colio show did really well and he eventually set up, I think, was it Josh Brownhill for the equaliser? Um, so I don't think they did too bad in that game. And the result, obviously, it was expected. Uh, it'll be the next one of ne- next one of fixtures that sort of really defines companies' season this year. But like we spoke about on the pod previously, I'd like them to keep hold of him no matter what. And even if they do get relegated, keep him like they did with Sean Dyche last time round and then rebuild in the championship and go again. Yeah. Uh, Laura, Aston Villa 3-1 versus Fulham. Uh, They keep their winning home uh, run going. Just to touch on them, I think they're in touching distance now of top of the league, but they're definitely in that top five, which looks like it's going to be Champs League spaces. Do you think under Emery, they've got a real life chance of getting Champs League? 
yeah, they've definitely got a live chance. As the season goes on, they're already in the Europa, aren't they? Which doesn't normally help a team striving to get in the Champions League. Um, their home form is good. I just think they must be so frustrated. Like last week, they went to Forest and lost. If they'd won that, they'd been joint top. Yeah. And this I isn't when yeah. we're third of the way through the season now. We're not talking about first couple of games. See each third away through the season. Do you know what I mean? So he's doing an unbelievable job. But you just 13 home wins in a row in the Premier League. That obviously that dates back to last season as well. If they can keep that going and just pick up that away form a little bit and not go and get turned over quite easily against the likes of Forest, maybe that's the you know the difference between the top teams in your villas. But of course they've got a live chance. But I think Brighton are going to have a run of form at some point because they've been poor for a while. Newcastle got players to come back. Man United, normally under the radar, have a good run at some point. So they're going to come under pressure and they're going to have to up the away form as well as the home form, which, by the way, is scintillated. Yeah, just on on them, I've had uh, Cash Watkins, the RB in my fantasy team for a number of weeks now and their fixtures have been desirable every week. In their next four games, they go away to Tottenham and then host Man City and Arsenal Villa. So, I mean, wow. if you're top... If you're top five after those next four games, Bournemouth's the other one in that Bournemouth away, which obviously, as Newcastle uh, proved at the weekend, isn't necessarily easy. Um, if they come through that and they're still in the top five at the actual halfway point of the season, then, yeah, big, big chance then. Um, but, yeah, Tottenham, City and Arsenal in the next four. Tomo, Man United won, Luton nil, much-needed win for United. Uh, Lindelof scored the goal, but I think watching back... I know we speak about every week, plain to see, our attackers aren't scoring, but some of those chances that are getting missed, two in particular for Hoyland, one for Garnacho, and then one for Rashford as well. Yeah, it's a big worry. Um, I had a look, Hoyland's missed eight big chances in the Premier League this season, um, which I thought was bad. Um, but then I had a look, and actually Erling Haaland's missed 13 big chances, and Ollie Watkins has missed 12 big chances. So... I think the reality of Hoyland's struggles might just be that we're not creating enough chances because obviously Haaland and Watkins have, on top of their goals, they've missed all those big chances. Um, but you're right to, to pick out United's struggle, um, struggles in the forward positions. 12 of United's 13 Premier League goals this season have come from non-forward players. Um, the only goal from a forward player this season is actually Marcus Rashford's goal against Arsenal. Um, you'd like to think it would pick up soon, but the reality of the situation is we are struggling and we're just squeezing and squeaking past teams like this. Um, but a weird a weird thing that's popped up on Twitter um, this weekend was actually over the last five Premier League games, United are the informed team in the country with four wins and one defeat. That obviously defeat coming at City, but a strange, strange um, stat because if you ask United fans, and obviously we are them, we've been poor, but we've won four out of four out of five in the Prem, which is it's honestly, only, it's it's mind blowing. Many many years ago, that was the famous one 0 to the Arsenal, wasn't it? And it's like they didn't always play well and got the results. We got international break to come. I think Luke Shaw's getting a bit closer. We've touched on. Um, Martinez, Casemiro still being out as well. So, you know, it's probably be sat here in a couple of weeks' time after we've lost to Everton and back on the is Tenard doing a good enough job. But at the minute, if you're winning four out of five games in the Prem with some big injuries, then that's probably as good as could be expected from him. Yeah, I think we win the lot from here. <laughs> yeah, I can't see past the treble, really. It did sound like you just drew a comparison with Eric Ten Hag's Man United and Arsene Wenger's Invincibles there, Murph. I think that... <laughs> 
wishful thinking. But <laughs> yeah, it did a bit. I think we can get four out of five is good. Yeah, I think what I meant to say is sometimes good teams win ugly or something like that. But yeah, maybe Invincible is a bit strong. Um, and then final game, Brighton won, Sheffield United uh, won. Lower game adds um, great goal from Adingra, but not too much action uh, other than that. But a red card in it, which Deserby agreed with, but then decided to come out and say that he dislikes 80% of English uh, referees. Just your thoughts on on those comments. I think he's thrown a dead cat on the table. You know, that old one where it's, ooh, we're not in great form and we've just dropped points to probably what most people think are the worst team in the league. It was a red card. I can't really argue that. So let's just say something wild to stop me getting asked about our form. Because they're, they're sort of, they're not in free fall. It's still Brighton and they're still a good side. But I think they've had a tricky couple of weeks, maybe a month to- and a half. Do you want me to go through their form, Laurie? So I'm going to keep out of the Europa League where they've beaten Ajax twice. They've drawn one all in their last three games against Sheffield United, Everton and Fulham. Before then, they lost 2-1 to Man City. They drew 2 all with Liverpool. They lost 6-1 to Aston Villa. Uh, and their last home, uh, their last victory in the Premier League was 24th of September against Bournemouth, which was 3-1. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean... Two months of bad form in the Prem there. Yeah, and that's exactly why I think you're hearing Deserby say something completely different. Just so we can get to the international break, forget that one and see if we can go again. But obviously not a manager under pressure by any stretch of the imagination. Just from the very high standards that Brighton and Deserby have set, just diluted a little bit and it culminated in a very good point for Sheffield United, by the way, yesterday, but a poor one for Brighton. Yeah, indeed. Boys, we'll move on to the championship. So... Uh, start with the Pyramid Pod Cup. Southampton won again, uh, 2-1 against Inform uh, West Brom. Tomo, they've now actually got the best form since end of September in the league, Southampton, um, and must be in and about or certainly getting close to the playoffs. Um, but yeah, Russell Martin seems to be got those boys ticking now. Yeah, and do you know what? Um, if you listen to Russell Martin's interview after the game, he said he didn't enjoy the second half very much, um, but he was happy that they dug deep and, and got the win in the end. And that will be the encouraging sign is actually they might not have had their best game in the season. Um, West Brom had more shots than them. Uh, the XG West Brom beat them at. And if you listen to um, West Brom's manager's interview, he said they, he, that they felt or he felt like they deserved to win. Um, but they got the win in the end. That Armstrong... Yeah, he got his ninth goal of the season. I don't know what minute it was, maybe, maybe final 10 minutes or so. And um, it was a really good touch at the back post, good finish. He's a bit of a poacher, isn't he? Um, he's one of those, we've spoke about this previously, he's one of those where maybe too good for the Championship, not good enough for the Premier League. I think that will be sort of, that will define his career, that kind of moniker. But um, yeah, an impressive win for Southampton. And like you say, they're in a great run of form and they're breathing down Leeds's neck. Um, still only one point behind them, I believe, Laura. That's right. Yeah, and and on that, um, they did they you were right, Tommy, they scored with 10 minutes to go, but maybe more importantly for their season, Ross Stewart, the Loch Ness Drogba, came off the bench back from injury and played the final eight minutes and uh, obviously signed in from Sunderland and he was goals there. So if their form's turned around from September, they're one point off of Leeds. We'll obviously come on to Ipswich and Leicester as well. 
if he can get back in the side and start scoring some goals, then they might be another side thinking alongside Leeds, let's chase down Leicester and Ipswich. Um, so on to Leicester, Middlesbrough 1-0 um, against Leicester. Great win for Michael Carrick and back-to-back losses uh, for Leicester now. Laurie, the free kick uh, from Sam Greenwood. Is he ex-Leeds on loan from Leeds? Yeah, so on loan, yeah. On loan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, is exactly you couldn't have scripted that game better from a Leeds perspective if you if you tried, could you? We hoped that that winning run that Leeds ended last Friday would lead to a dodgy run of form, albeit we got the international break now. But Middlesbrough away looked like a tough one to try and get back on the horse. And although they had, I think, two thirds of the possession and they were quite unlucky, I think Ine actually hit the post and they had some chances. Um, yeah, an on-load Leeds man scoring a wonder-free kick to take all three points is about as good as you could possibly hope for. And now the lead is cut to eight. And we've still got to play each other again, which will be five. And all of a sudden, you're within a game and a half of each other. So this is how, how ridiculous the championship is that Leicester got off to the best start you have ever seen until last week. And now they're second. And it ain't Leeds that are second. So, uh, you know, it's incredibly difficult to decipher what's going to happen in that league and what the end of the season is going to look like. But it's a brilliant one to keep your eye on because you do feel at some point the gap is going to close between Leeds, Southampton, maybe even one or two more at the pack and Leicester and Ipswich at the top. But Leicester losing those two games is brilliant for the league, brilliant for Leeds and brilliant for the chasing pack. Um, And another good win for Michael Carrick, a manager you can trust when you really need someone to get a result for you. Just a quick one on Michael Carrick, actually. I don't know if you boys watched the highlights. Did you see him um, when, I think it was Greenwood who actually won the foul for the free kick um, that he took. Um, Michael Carrick was kicking off at the referee because he wanted them to play. um, Advantage. He wanted them to play advantage, yeah. And then obviously Greenwood steps up and if the listeners, if any listeners out there haven't seen this free kick, I urge you to go and have a look at it because it's an absolute worldie from about 30 yards. It's one of the best free kicks you'll see all season. Um, but yeah, funny that Carrick <laughs> thought the referee made the wrong decision because he wanted him to play advantage. And yeah, obviously, I saw, I saw a couple of the players as well went up to him afterwards, and then they all sort of just like tail between their legs go off and celebrate with Greenwood after he's put it bins. Um, so just touched on Leicester, the other the other side right up there, Ipswich, um, three two against Swansea, conceded early again. Tomo, but I think Connor Chaplin scored again and uh, McKenna's men now top. Yeah, do you know they've um, it's the fifth match in a row that Ipswich have conceded in the first 15 minutes. Um, so obviously they'd like to cut that out, but they score a fucking load of goals and I don't know if you boys seen Jack Taylor's goal. He cuts inside and absolutely yeah. swats one top bins. It's a great goal and um yeah, it's the 35th game in a row that Ipswich have scored um, in the League and Cup. Um, and they've scored 89 goals in that time, which is nearly three a game, which is unbelievable. Um, so, yeah. And like Laura said, or if you actually look at those the stats of that game, they won 3-2. But I think the scoreline actually um, flatters Swansea a little bit because Ipswich had 20, 22 shots to Swansea 7. Um, the XG was 4 to Swansea's <laughs> 1. So they battered them really, and they're joint top of the of the championship now. Which a couple of weeks ago you wouldn't you wouldn't have dreamed of, but yeah, McKenna he looks like he looks like the real deal, and 
a little interesting quirk about the Premier League at the minute. We're in mid-November and no, no one's been sacked yet. And you'd think that McKenna would be top of the list for anyone um, who wants to change their manager in the Premier League because he, he's done an unbelievable job there. Yeah, that's a, a good chat, actually. I hadn't really thought about the the championship managers who might suddenly, that are leading their teams well, that suddenly could uh, could have Prem sides come calling for them. But, you know, we obviously spoke about, like, Burnley and things like that. He seems like that mould, Dunny McKenna, of, like, progressive, young, would be seen yeah. as playing attractive football and would be someone that uh, a Premier League side might take a, a gamble on. So, Laurie, just on that Jack Taylor, I was just having a look at him because I did see his goal. He was at... Peterborough, it looks like, last season. And then before that, Barnett sort of followed that trajectory of a non-league player that Peterborough then pluck and then plays well for them and now um, in the Championship and obviously might be Prem next year. Yeah, a little bit like Ivan Tony, isn't it? Peterborough have a thing about signing strikers and them going on to big things. And um, yeah, he he was at Peterborough, I think, for about three seasons and before that came from non-league, like you said. So um great to see people like that getting involved and sometimes it's all just down to the manager and Kieran McKenna is obviously one of those that um instills trust and allows his players to express themselves I think which is normally conducive to your attacking players showing vast improvements from where they've been before but I just think with Ipswich and I listen they've lost one game since like February and that was Leeds and that was 4-3 they do have a lot of free twos four threes for, you know, games like that. And I just think that winning games like that is probably a little bit less sustainable than how you tend to see Leeds and, and Leicester winning them. Um, obviously, yeah. hopefully not from an Ipswich point of view, but it, it, you keep thinking to yourself, if one's going to fall away there, it's going to be Ipswich. But they just keep winning. I just, yeah. But at some point, you feel like it's going to catch up with them and their inability to keep clean sheets, which must be on the lower side, um, is going is to hamper them somewhat. But I mean, look, they've got an eight-point lead over anyone over us in third as well. So fair play to them. There must be class to be an Ipswich fan at the moment. Yeah. I had a look at, um, at Ipswich's fixtures and all, all kind of, as it seems like, you know, games that they, they win, some games that look sticky. But just on that Christmas period, 23rd of December, they've got Leeds. And then on Boxing Day, they've got Leicester. So it'll be interesting to see at the end of Boxing Day if Leeds carry on this little like picking up points on those sides. Then they've got Ipswich on the twenty third, and then Ipswich have got uh, Leicester on Boxing Day, who sits top of the table um, the day after Christmas for for that. But we'll come on to Leeds Loro two on victory against Plymouth. Obviously, gained more points on Leicester there, and Joel Pirro got a goal as well. Yeah, and he hadn't scored in about six weeks, Joel Pirro. Mentioned that a couple of pods ago, so I'm glad he's back on the score sheet. And look, it's like if Somerville and Rutter don't get you at the moment, then Dan James and, and Joel Pirro can. And that's just, you know, comes from having the riches that we've got of being in the top of the championship and having such a good squad. But talk about those fixtures there for Leeds. Leeds have beaten Ipswich and Leicester both away. So both of the games we've got against them are at home, which gives us a good advantage looking at that table as well. And when you look at, I mean, eight points looks a lot, but... If Leeds had lost to Leicester last week, it could have easily been 14. They could have gone and won the next uh, the game at the weekend as well. So we've already sort of almost cut it in half. And we've won six out of seven. You know, we, we're one of the informed teams in the country as well. It's just because we had that that inevitable poor start where players were going and coming and we didn't know which way was what. But now we've got a very settled kind of 15 or 16 players that are playing every week. 
We're able to rotate and freshen in the forward areas. We've, the signings have been brilliant in Kamara Nampadu and Rodon in particular. Um, and there's a nice blend as well of, of youth and experience with Archie Gray playing at right back, who I think has been linked this week with Liverpool for a big amount of money. So lots and lots of good things going on at Leeds and another good and expected win against Plymouth, albeit made it difficult for ourselves and sort of let them get off up off the floor and punch us in the face second half with a... Um, a goal which thankfully just turned out to be a, a consolation. Um, however, I can't grumble at 18 points out of 21 and hopefully that can continue. Yeah, I saw 40 mil for Archie Gray from Liverpool. and He's only 17, isn't he? I know um, Leeds wouldn't want to lose him, but 40 mil is a lot of money. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I'd take 40 mil now because you just never know, do you? But, yeah. and it's not, like, I watch, he's a good player, Archie Gray, but he's not, he's a central midfielder and he's not getting in our centre mid. He's playing right back. Do you know what I mean? So, there's a lot of sentiment around him because he's a fourth-generation Leeds player. Um, Eddie Gray, I think, it's his uncle or great-uncle, who's a Leeds legend. His dad, Andy Gray, did play for Leeds as a striker. I think more of a Barnsley legend um, and someone else in the in the heritage of the family as well. So, yeah, lovely story. And hopefully he can go from strength to strength. But at the moment, he's playing out of position, which is very impressive as a young man, but also says he can't get in the championship midfield just yet. But he's 17. <laughs> But well, yeah, it's seventeen. But yeah. what I'm talking about in in the context of forty million, you'd probably take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you keep Luke Aylin out of the squad, Laura? Is he just? Is he yeah, on the yeah. Luke Aylin's Luke Aylin's on the bench every game, and we've still got Jed Spence to come back. So when that happens, you think mm, could be yeah. tricky for 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 Luke Aylin. But he's, I mean, Luke Aylin's a year older than us, so he's getting on now. Yeah, must be about thirty-three. Yeah, as a way. Um, Sunderland three-one versus Birmingham. Um, Tomo Bellingham's brother uh, Job scored again, but uh, more, probably more importantly, Wayne Rooney lost another game. Yeah, and quite worryingly, he um, he mentioned the fitness of the players in his post-match interview, which I thought um, I I you quite often hear that from new managers, don't you? Is when they come into teams and they don't they haven't had a preseason, they will attribute like struggling with the poor levels of fitness in the team. Um, but yeah, Sunderland would have better the team on the day, absolutely battered them, really. Um, I thought we spoke a lot about Jack Clark, as you guys know, on this podcast, but actually his um, opposite, not his opposite number, but his 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 um, other winger in the, in the team, Patrick Roberts, um, former Man City, he looked really dangerous. And in an insight that will surprise absolutely no one, or shot absolutely no one. I thought Joe Bellingham um, just looks exactly like Jude, runs exactly like him, um, quickly doesn't play exactly like him, but he's only young. I think he's, I want to say... 18. 18, yeah. He's younger than Jude, isn't he? Yeah, so he's an 18-year-old. 18-year-old <clears throat> starting in um, a good Sunderland championship-level team every week. Um it looks like the the world is his oyster as well. So, um, yeah. But on on Birmingham, just quickly, their fixtures <clears throat> have been tough since since Rooney's come in, and they're just turning a little bit. Um, in two of their next three, they've got Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday at home and Rotherham Rotherham at home. So, you'd think that they'd pick up some points there, and potentially Rooney can turn it around. Um, he did mention that the international break has come at a good time for them because he because like you say, like I mentioned, they need to work on their fitness. Yeah, I mean 
I, I remember watching the Friday night football, Birmingham West Brom, where they won 3-1. Before that, they'd beaten Huddersfield 4-1 and it looked like Birmingham were, well, they were flying. They were up in the playoffs. Since then, the games have been Middlesbrough Hull, Southampton, Ipswich and Birmingham, uh, and Sunderland. So difficult fixtures, but one point from five for Rooney and going exactly as I think we all predicted it would uh, so far. And I think when you start calling out people on their fitness and things like that, people, players who are already probably backing Eustace, not having Rooney are going to be even more so like that. So The only the only thing I thought of um, is I'm pretty convinced that that, that board are, are going to be fully back in Rooney in January and they'll get, say, between five and eight new sign-ins and get rid of a few. So it'll actually be the players that go instead of Rooney, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and that doesn't always work, though, does it? Five to eight new sign-ins and bringing them into a side and asking them to gel straight away in the a league like the Championship where games come thick and fast. Yeah, yeah. So I think that could be disastrous for Birmingham. I do wonder, they wouldn't ever admit it, but whether they're regretting that already, they uh, the board with what they had with Eustace. Um, and then just one final game I want to cover. Not any two teams that are particularly up there, but Watford won 5-0 against Rotherham, Loro, which um, spelt the end for their manager, Matt Taylor. But a young manager, I think he's young, a young manager that you like uh, and you think will be back in a, a job soon. Yeah, I just, uh, he'd come from Exeter, did a really, really good job with them. And I just thought he was a perfect, I thought it was a brilliant appointment for Rotherham when they replaced Paul Warren with him. And I, I'm not quite sure, listen, I'm sure... They don't want to be 22nd in the table. And that result meant they were a little bit cut adrift of Huddersfield in front of them. But they are the smallest club in that division, probably, aren't they, by distance. And I think a good result for Rotherham is staying in that division. And if they are going to progress up the league, they need to stick with someone longer than importing them in February and getting rid of them in November. Um, You know, obviously did well enough to keep them up last year. And I'm not quite sure what they were expecting. It's not an appointment where I would have expected a sudden impact and you know, starting to rocket up the league is more of a project which it should which it should be with Rotherham in the championship punching above their weight. So he'll definitely he won't be out of work very long at all. He'll get a, a really good, decent League One job, I expect, and probably we'll see him back in the championship one day. And uh, for Rotherham now, four points adrift, they're probably gonna look at the the Neil Warnock one you'd expect, wouldn't you? He's been there before. He's done exactly this um at Rotherham come in to sort of troubleshoot the situation. But ages eight and ages left. But it feels like a panicky one to me. Interesting, yeah. interesting little quirk about obviously them sacking their manager. Rotherham go to Leeds, or I think Leeds go to Rotherham next. So if it's Warnock, a lot of history there, and you hope as a Leeds fan, I guess that they don't get that new manager bounce. And then on that Watford one, obviously we spoke a little bit about Watford. They've turned the corner a little bit. They're up to thirteenth now and beaten in six. They go to Leicester next. So if Watford can get something against Leicester, um, Spanner in the works. Yeah, definitely. I didn't realise their form had picked up quite that much, Watford. Um, yeah, good for them. Just on Matt Taylor, I just had a little uh, Google and on X of him. Well, you don't Google on X, do you? I've had an X on him. And uh, he's linked with Bristol Rovers already, Laura. A yeah. lot of uh, gas heads talking about getting him in. Perfect. Yeah, stick him in there and they'll probably be in the playoffs. There you go. Great stuff. Right, we'll move on to League One then, boys. Um, Portsmouth drew two all with Charlton. Um, Holby Bishop and Alfie May, I think, I highlighted Alfie May on the last pod about being a potential problem for them there. Um, and he, he managed to score, but two all draw there. So a couple drop points for Portsmouth. Um, and that was 
that was backed up by Oxford going and winning three two away at way at Leighton Orient. Laurie, just to bring you back in on managers, uh, a little bit on Oxford's new manager and who that's likely to be. Well, we don't know yet, but we actually tweeted out earlier, didn't we, that the bookies had slashed the odds on Luke Williams, who's the Notts County manager. Now, one of you said earlier, there's this kind of movement in clubs wanting these progressive on the grass coaches, aren't there? Um, and Luke, it, 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 there's a few clubs that you see um, involved in that kind of merry-go-round. And just to give a background on Luke Williams, he was, I think, I think he had a, a spell as Swindon manager about a decade ago, but he was Russell Martin's assistant manager under MK Dons and went with him to Swansea. So you can see the kind of um, route they're going down there. But MK Dons replaced Russell Martin with Liam Manning, the very same Liam Manning that's just left Oxford to go to Bristol City in the Championship, obviously a club that are going down that route as well. So it's a brilliant fit. You can see that if you're going to lose Liam Manning, someone out of exactly the same kind of school and the same kind of um, train of thought is Luke Williams, who did a brilliant job at Knox County last year. We spoke about him quite a bit already. Didn't win the National League because they ran into Wrexham, but they still got well over 100 points. I think they're fifth maybe in League Two at the moment. Sticky patch of form, but they were top up until about three weeks ago. So I think that would be an incredibly smart move from Oxford if they can get a deal done with Notts County to bring Luke Williams in because it will be a seamless transition from uh, Liam Manning. Very similar kind of coach and they're second in League One. So if you're Luke Williams, although Notts County is quite a big club in League Two, you could go straight in at Oxford and maybe get another promotion on your record and all of a sudden you're in the championship and you're flying. And they've got some good players there, including Ruben Rodriguez, who uh, Notts County actually sold to Oxford in the summer. So... I'd love to see that happen, but, uh, you know, bookies have been wrong before, haven't they? I've seen managers come into like one to ten on and still not get the job. And I think Lampard was the favourite as of Friday, but I'd love to see Oxford appoint Luke Williams from Notts County, albeit um, Notts County fans won't be happy with that. Tomo? Just a quick one before we move on from Portsmouth. Um, you mentioned Alfie May um, score and he got his 12th for the season and Colby Bishop scored again, which means he has now scored um, double figures for five straight EFL campaigns. Um, he joined Accrington Stanley in 2019 from sixth tier Leamington Spa. So he jumped three divisions. And I was having a look at some of his stats um, because since then he scored 62 League One goals um, and only one player has scored more. And that's that um, Clark Harris was 75, the Peterborough guy. Um but he's a proper fox in a box. He has never scored a goal outside of the box in the EFL, which is mental, isn't it? Um, it's quite lush, though, as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice to see. And on Pompey, they we spoke about their unbeaten run. They've um, they're unbeaten in since March, which is twenty seven games, and it's the j- joint eighth all time in the second, third, and fourth tier in England. Um, so. I know Charlton got the last in the league, yeah. I believe so, yeah. And and um, well, yeah, it is on it because they got knocked out, didn't they, against Chesterfield the other day? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously Charlton got the late equaliser on the weekend, which would be disappointing. But um, they didn't lose. The unbeaten the the unbeaten run runs on. And yeah, I just wanted to touch on Colby Bishop because I saw he got his tenth for the season, albeit it was a penalty. Yeah, but what's really interesting there is that. Portsmouth unbeaten since March. We're now in November, but they're only one point ahead of Oxford and Bolton in the table, which is just goes to show the strength of uh, 
of uh, of that league. Um, so there were there were wins also for Bolton, Peterborough, and Stevenage, who occupy the third, fourth, and fifth places there. But uh, Tomo, a win for Paul Warren's Derby against Barnsley. Barnsley sixth and Derby up to seventh, but three 0 win for Derby. James Collins brace and um, that little bit of pressure that seemed to be on Paul Warren for a little bit. He's kind of responding now with four 0 win and a three 0 win, and he uh, he must be buzzing. Yeah, and it was I think it was a couple of tap ins, wasn't it, for James Collins? Um, he scored seven in sixteen games in that league, um, but he must not have played that many minutes because he scores a goal every 131 minutes which um, is really good return really um, so obviously if he can start bagging or playing more often I guess he's had a couple of injury issues and that's why he's um, not had as many minutes but yeah if he can start bagging then you, you think that potentially they can go on a little bit of a run and put the pressure on those at the top of the table um, and it's nice for Paul Warren isn't it because we all have a soft spot for him yeah, we do indeed. We do indeed. His weekly mention on the pod. Um, boys, we'll move on to League Two quickly and we'll obviously come on to Yeovil later, who are now 13 in a row. But Loro, another team 13 in a row, seems to be a bit of competition picking up on Twitter on this one. Stockport went away to Swindon, another side who were, were up there in League Two and won 4 2. Yeah, I don't know what more we can say about Stockport. They just, you can just. They had Paddy Madden and Nick Powell on the bench. And this is the fourth tier of English football. So it's just crazy, really. Um, but going away to someone like Swindon, who are obviously probably playoff contenders, you'd say, who have had a good start as well, and smashing four past them. Don't worry about your two goals. We'll score four type situation, it seems to be. It's just brilliant. And like I said, talk about League Two managers getting um, looked at by the league above or maybe higher. Theirs is one that I can't believe hasn't been linked anywhere. Maybe it's because he hasn't got that kind of progressive, um, modern, sexy brand of football and it's more of an old school way of winning. But I'd take 38 points at this stage of the season and being six points clear every day of the week. Yeah, and just on that, um, Odin, Bailey, um, the fella who scored their third goal, um, their all-important third goal, I guess, um, is a great goal. Um, but he's on loan from Salford. Um, and it is his first goal for Stockport, so I don't know whether he's getting many games, but strange that a player who, um, who's on loan from Salford, who are not doing that well this season, is popping up and getting a great goal for Stockport at the top of the league. It's weird. He's played 11, played 11 games so far already for them this season, and it looks like he's starting. But I think I, we might have even touched on this in a previous pod with Yeovil. It's happened before, and it, Lauro, with getting loans from the same league and it, it ending being a masterstroke. Yeah, well, sometimes it's horses for course. Actually, in League Two right now, there's a player called, I think it's Jake Young on loan from on loan at Swindon from Bradford, and he's got the most goals and assists combined in the league. He, I think he's one of the top scorers in the league and the most assists in the league. And like you've just mentioned there, the year that Yeovil got promoted from League One to the Championship a decade ago now, we took Paddy Madden from Carlisle in the same league on loan, and he was a top scorer in the league and ended up representing with the Republic of Ireland that year. So sometimes it's just maybe a fit with the manager, feeling more at home in the club. I don't know. But you do get those weird ones like interleague loans um, that end up looking really silly on the, the previous manager that's made the decision. But yeah, I mean, I've, to be honest with you, I've not heard of Odin Bailey. That's a new one on me. But yeah, it is weird that Stockport, who are flying high, would loan someone from Salford. But then again, 
Salford are one of the sort of highest payers in the league, aren't they? And probably got a lot of um, freeing up of cash to do where they can. So maybe that's it. 12, 12 goals uh, for Jake Young and four assists, 16 goal involvements in 16 yeah. games for Swindon. And he's on loan from Bradford, who are struggling. I just looked at um, at Swindon's form, actually, because they we they had that result against Aldershot, didn't they, which um, raised a few eyebrows to 7-4. Yeah. They've actually won one game now since the end of September, but before then were winning pretty much every game. They had an unbeaten start right up until... October where they lost to Notts County and then have only won since and lost six or seven games with a couple draws. It's mad how form works sometimes, isn't it? And do you know what happened in October? They gave Michael Flynn, their manager, a brand new long-term contract. So very weird how it works. Wow. Yeah. They got they shipped six against Aldershot, which was crazy. And Charlie Austin played that game, so it couldn't have been like a second string. We speak about players sometimes, don't we? You know, signing a new deal, Rashford being the one obvious at the minute, signing a new deal and then the form drops off. I've never thought of it from a manager who's maybe like vying for a big job or a, a new contract and doing well and then gets it. Is it, you know, only I suppose at elite level sport only takes a slight drop off for things to really start to curtail. Yeah, it so, might yeah. just be bad timing. I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole Michael Flynn, who did a really good job at Newport for years. Um and, and say that he's dropped off because he's got the new contract, but it is weird timing that they they were one of the top teams in the league flying, and now they've lost however many and however many are, are coming off of it. But they're still four points off the playoffs. Then come back after, um, I don't know. I know they don't have an international break in being two, but quite often a lot of the fixtures are cancelled. Um, oh, they are playing at the weekend, so hopefully they can uh, get a result against Harrogate and start to build up towards the playoffs again. Sorry, Flinny, I didn't mean to put you under the buster. Yeah, so that's a conspiracy theory, isn't it, that? But yeah, you are right, Murph. Conte, I always think Conte and Mourinho do it in the sort of the final couple of years of their contracts where they just fuck it all off and hope to get paid up and sacked, basically. But yeah, no way Flinney's doing that. Surely not. Nah, not no, not Flinney. Sorry, Flinney. <laughs> I think if Flinney was to go on and look for a podcast and search his name, see what's about later, and saw three lads from Yeovil accusing him of downing tools after signing a new contract. <laughs> He'd be dejected. Uh, no, sorry, Flynn. Uh, just um, League Two, we obviously had a bit of debate on the pod last week about um, the statement that Paul Mullin scores in every game. Wrexham won 2-0 Tomo against Gillingham. Just want to, um, Gillingham, sorry, just want to get a bit of insight from you on if... Uh, Mullin was on the score sheet or not. That's a proper stitch-up job. Yeah, um, what I didn't mention on last week's uh, or on uh, Thursday's podcast was that he was actually suspended for this game um, because he's accrued five yellow cards. Um, He's accrued as many yellow cards as he has scored goals um, in that league. So, yeah, he was suspended, but comfortable 2-0 win. Didn't seem to miss him too much. And it doesn't doesn't take away from your statement. He can't score in a game he's not playing in, so he'll be back stronger, I know. Yeah, and I listened back to that pod, and I do think I was unfairly treated quite a lot by Loro, but I've remembered. I've, I've made a mental note. <laughs> He'll find you. Um, another another result uh, in that league, Crew 1-0 against Notts County. Uh, in that game, I think there was four minutes of added time. Notts County were breaking on the counter-attack to go and try and win it 1-0. The ref pulled his hamstring, so stopped the game. And then they bring a new ref in. And in the eighth or ninth minute of stoppage time, way over the allotted amount that should have been played, the new ref gives Crew a penalty after taking ages to decide it. Crew score it and uh, means that Notts County lose again. But, Lauro, 
crew aside that we spoke about not knowing much about uh, on a previous pod, a big win for them and a um, bad loss for Notts County, who might also be uh, losing their manager. Yeah, bad timing for Notts County. I think that like the police were involved in everything there. I saw quite a bit of stuff going on 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 Twitter about that game at, at Crew. Um, but yeah, look, fourth and fourth v fifth in the league that was. So it's not a a game that you Notts had to win or you, you know you'd be expect them to win. But I think they've lost four in seven maybe, um, or haven't won four out of the last seven, which because to the high standards they set at the start of the season. Um, it probably has to go down as a little bit of a sticky patch for them. So you don't want to be going through that sticky patch and losing your manager. Um, and I think I saw earlier that Langstaff's been ruled out for a while as well. He was the, He's their striker that broke the National League scoring record last year and they wouldn't want to lose him um, already uh, susceptible to a lot of injuries down there and having to bring in free transfers and stuff. So, yeah, sticky spot for Notts County at the moment. But they are still fifth in the table and they are still newly promoted. So let's put put it into perspective. They're having a, a great year and a great era of their club's history, but just need to ride this out at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And then just one other final result, boys, in there is uh, we touched on uh, Salford, uh, one of their players being on loan at Stockport. They lost 2-1 at home to Mansfield. Mansfield's still unbeaten in the league and actually have a game in hand. And I think that would take them a couple of points behind Stockport, uh, who we're saying are making a unbelievable start as they are they're 13 in a row but just shows how well these sides are doing to keep pace with them as well uh but a great victory for Mansfield and I'm sure they'll have a midweek game with their game in hand soon where they'll be looking to win that and uh close that gap just just one on Salford um I saw that Matt Smith was the one he got the goal again and he's the top scorer in league two now with 13 goals but Salford are struggling and and Matt Smith is one of those strikers where he almost forces your hands a little bit because he's so massive to to play that sort of style of football. So he's obviously getting the goal. So he'll be sitting in the change room thinking, well, I'm doing my job. But I wonder if he's almost the reason inadvertently why they're struggling a little bit because their um, their style of play has to sort of match his his physique, if you will. Yeah, they're almost like having to go route one and whip the ball in for him to head in. And it's like, yeah, he'll score you a goal again. But at the same time, if you're that style of play is not working and you're losing, it's like, what use yeah. is Smithy? But that is a lot of goals, to be fair. If you talk goal scoring in the league, I imagine he'll be sat thinking, I can't do too much more. Yeah, true. Yeah. I think he scored a hat against Man United under 21s as well, if he, uh, if that was the right game. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a player who's been about. And I, Boys, we'll finish up as we always do with um, Yeovil. I think all three of us are heading to Hewish Park tomorrow night um, to see if Yeovil can make it 14 in a row. But um, Lauro, Yeovil made it 13 in a row at the weekend against Dover. Yeah, 13 in a row, nine in the league, four in the FA Cup, two against teams in the league above us. Um, Dover were, I don't say the worst team we've played this season. It was the most dominant performance from Yeovil that I'd seen controlled the game from start to finish. The highlights package of that game is about 20 chances for Yeovil. Obviously, young Sonny Cox, who we've got on loan from Exeter City at the moment, which in itself is unbelievable in National League South, got his first two goals for the club. A brilliant brace, right place at the right time. And um, yeah, it was. I was listening to uh, the Dover manager, Mitch Brundle, actually used to play for Yeovil. His interview after the game, he was like, they're just better than us. They brought on Reese Murphy and Frank Newble when they were 1-0 up after 65 minutes. And we're part-time. 
Do you know what I mean? So I can see that from the opposition's point of view, but I'm not going to make um, any apologies for celebrating 13 wins in a row because at any level, when when we came into this league, everyone was telling us that we had to, you know, be respectful. These are good sides. And a lot of the sides have surprised me of how good they are at football, but we are something special. And uh, six points clear at the top, game in hand, another home game tomorrow, still in the FA Cup, travelling to Wrexham. It's just such a good time to be a Yeovil fan at the moment. And uh, hopefully we can make it 14 and put on a show for you two coming along to your spot tomorrow. Yeah, the the only thing I was going to say about those Yeovil highlights, Lauro, I was going to ask you is that because I watched them on the Yeovil YouTube channel and I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, obviously they're just showing all of Yeovil's chances and none of Dover's chances. No, no. Oh, sorry. So this is a stat from the game. Dover didn't record one shot on or off target. That's mental. Yeah, so utterly dominant. Yeah. Utterly dominant. And like we should be dominating, but this was like two nil was ridiculous. Really, it could have been six or seven or eight. But one little quirk: Yeovil haven't scored more than three goals in the league this season in the game, which is weird for a team that's flying at the top top goal scorers in the league. We're obviously winning by one or two goals every week, which is absolutely fine. But hopefully, we can blow a team away four, four five, six soon because that feels like it's coming as well. But. Yeah, lots of it's one of those things like the, every single player could be man of the match every single game. It's just weird. It feels very weird at the moment as a Yeovil fan, just walking up to the game expecting to win, and it's just who's going to play and who's going to score. Walking away thinking, how much clearer are we at the top now? It's just lush. And it mad that the difference a season makes where Yeovil fans have gone from will we score a goal this week to a quirk being we've not scored more than three in the league and you've got podcasts saying Yeovil don't win by more than two goals. Is that a concern? It's Unbelievable. Matter. And on the same vein as that, Darren Soul got sacked today at Woking in the National League, who was the manager that left us um, towards the end of the reign of um, our previous owners at Yeovil, who shall not be named because I think he just could see what was coming. Did a really good job at Woking last season, got him fourth in the league. Bearing in mind that was behind Chesterfield, Wrexham and Knox County. So pretty much top of the league of actual National League sides. And uh, yeah, one bad run of form now in the National League just seems to mean you're, or in any league, seems to mean you're getting sacked. I don't know who Woking think they're going to get to replace Darren Stoll um, of similar or anywhere near his quality as a manager. But another one who, like Matt Taylor in a different league, I don't think will be out of work for very long. And hopefully one day we'll see him back at Kewish Park. But um, yeah, disappointed to see that. But what a stark contrast from the last couple of years and the last 10 years, really, from Yeovil. Four relegations in 10 years, and now we're back on the up. And uh, yeah, let's make it 14 out of 14 tomorrow. Good stuff. Yeah, look forward to that. See you boys at that game tomorrow. Um, That's all we've got time for today. Uh, We're going to take a little bit of a break with the international break again. uh, But we'll be back a week Thursday, where hopefully Yeovil will be at either 15 or 16 in a row by then. We'll also look ahead and preview the Premier League action with Man City, Liverpool, Newcastle, Chelsea, Spurs, Villa and Everton, Man United all to look forward to. But pleasure as always, boys. Speak to you soon. Take care. One, two, three.